1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
0: When were the... What schools? The
2: Who decides what the next...
1: Where's that story? Why
2: they keep the loop...
3: What is this?
0: It's Curious City,
3: where WBEZ answers your questions
2: about Chicago, the region, and its people.
1: Hi, I'm Chris Bentley. Kyle Bolliard teaches in North Suburban Niles. When he drives to work, he passes a strange sign. It's on the side of a sturdy brick building owned by the Regional Wastewater Treatment Authority.
0: So we're here right now at, at Howard and McCormick where this sign is, and I... I I pass this building every single day, and at some point along the way, I just kind of noticed it. It's a pretty small sign. It's kind of rusted a little bit. It says, Fallout Shelter on Floors 1 in Basement.
1: Fallout Shelter, as in nuclear fallout, after an atomic bomb blast. You know the symbol on the sign, three yellow triangles pointing down inside a circle. That sign got Kyle thinking.
0: I was wondering if there were any nuclear fallout or nuclear blast shelters left in the city of Chicago or anywhere in the suburban area.
1: Kyle's talking about underground bunkers built during the Cold War when people worried about a nuclear attack by the Soviet Union. By some estimates, the U.S. built hundreds of thousands of these shelters in the 20 years after World War II. But are any left in our area? And what are they like today? We did find some old shelters, but we couldn't turn up any apocalypse-proof bunkers that were fully stocked and ready to weather a nuclear war. Still, the echoes of these things are everywhere, often in places you might not expect.
2: Five, four, three, two, one.
1: It might be hard to imagine now, but for years the nation was gripped by fear of a nuclear attack from the USSR. We worried about shockwaves and fireballs leveling cities, but we also worried about the aftermath.
3: Thousands of tons of Earth particles are drawn upward into the ascending mushroom cloud where radioactive products of the nuclear explosion contaminate them. Eventually, they settle to Earth, and this is called radioactive fallout.
1: Big industrial cities like Chicago were considered major targets. Diane Adams grew up in the city's Woodlawn neighborhood during the 1950s.
2: We had to worry about getting, people were buying and making fallout shelters and trying to find out where we could go if there was an attack and all that kind of stuff, and they had those... Little signs that were saying that you go here, like in the subway. But for those who had the money and who had homes, they could build their own little bunkers. And we in the city, who were apartment dwellers or whatever, we were just like. <laughs> and if you lived near maybe the subway, you you had a chance. But it was just an eerie time.
1: To find what's left of those shelters, it helps to have somebody who knows where to look.
3: We had fallout shelters everywhere. Uh, Most of the old-style public schools, like, like right here in this neighborhood, there are a couple of buildings that had fallout shelter emblems on them.
1: Larry Langford, spokesman for the Chicago Fire Department, is driving me around the south side, pointing out the kind of public shelters Diane Adams remembers. He says, rather than spend billions of dollars building new structures, the federal government designated tens of thousands of existing buildings as fallout shelters. We found several of these in the Chicago area, Again, then, old uh, schools and that large building large that sparked Kyle Bolliard's question. Basically, you know, public buildings we see all the time.
3: On them. City Hall was a fallout shelter. Many, many businesses that had underground facilities downtown hmm. were considered fallout shelters.
1: Chicago then, uh, had thousands of these. But some agencies did more basement. than just slap a metal sign onto an existing building to make this shelter. Sometimes they built new spaces, too.
3: But this was a... Uh... The door that we have right here was at one time much heavier, leading into what is the fallout shelter.
1: Langford brings me, Kyle, and Kyle's wife, Amanda Snyder, to a southside fire station with its own dedicated shelter, Engine 60 shelter. in Hyde Park. The word,
3: with the special air handling system, had a lot of supplies in here. The walls are very thick, concrete, designed to withstand all kinds of shock. Direct hit? No. Nothing's going to withstand that.
1: Could you, any of you imagine spending two weeks down here?
0: It would get really dark and really cramped. I'm interested to see if we can figure out how many people would have been down here. Sometimes the, we mentioned earlier, sometimes those signs on the outside had a capacity listed. But if there were hundreds of people down here, it would be terrible, I think. I imagine
3: it would start to smell really bad. Right. Probably after like a couple hours. The filtration system was supposed to take care of that. But still, if you have a lot of people in a confined area.
1: The space under this fire station looks like it would have held hundreds of people. Today, it's more like a big basement. The firemen use it to store workout equipment. But during the Cold War, the steel doors were designed to seal you in, where you'd wait until the government said you were safe from radioactive debris outside.
0: You can imagine just rows and rows of cots in here or just bed mats on the ground. I don't know what the setup would have been like. But as you see, this
3: was a huge place.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's an incredible whole kind of maze
3: of of rooms and concrete. Mm -hmm. It could still be used today something if we needed to. We don't, we don't have the supplies here now, but we got the space. We could bring things in if we had to.
1: At the time, the U.S. government had a division called the Office of Civil and Defense Mobilization, and it was supposed to stock fallout shelters with supplies like fortified crackers, giant drums of water, and sanitation kits for personal hygiene. Langford says no one's done that for decades, and none of the agencies that I talked to local, county, state, federal, could say exactly when they stopped checking on fallout shelters in Chicago. They also couldn't say what happened to records about how many shelters existed in the area. The issue just kind of faded away. Even in 1963, when the Cuban Missile Crisis put the U.S. on the brink of war, Chicago government officials sounded more fatalistic than prepared.
2: Someone asked Chicago's chief civil defense administrator what they should do, and he said, and I quote, Take cover and pray.
1: This is Kenneth Rose, a professor at California State University Chico and author of the book One Nation Underground. He says Even though there was much ado about preparing for nuclear war during the early 60s, Chicago, like many cities, kind of dragged its feet. In 1961, Chicago aldermen decided to allow residents to build their own shelters in case the public network wasn't enough. A reporter for the Christian Science Monitor was at that meeting.
2: So I'm quoting here. When aldermen were not harassing the discussion, they clipped fingernails or yawned towards the ceiling, for the most part paying little attention to the government sheltered documents handed them at the beginning of the meeting. Few of them. Asked so
1: even at the height of the Cold War, the sense of urgency was drastically different depending on who you asked. Rose says a lot of people in big cities figured, why worry about fallout when the bomb itself might level a major target like Chicago. Still, some citizens took matters into their own hands and built private shelters. It's hard to say how many went through with it, but I did find the house where, in 1961, a Mrs. Bernice Gilhooly built Chicago's first publicly authorized private fallout shelter. She spent $3,500 on it. Today, that's almost $28,000.
2: Well, when I bought the house 15 years ago, ballpark figure, come downstairs and there was a room in the basement, opened it up. Went down a couple of steps. I was in a bomb shelter.
1: Jim Schaller now owns the Bridgeport home and the remains of that shelter.
2: Had trundle beds on the wall. It had five-gallon glass containers of water. There was crank to crank air and air shafts in there that were sticking out the property next door. It was a great hiding spot for my wife. It locked a metal door, heavy metal door, locked on both sides.
1: So you guys actually used it?
2: Oh, I had all kinds of junk in there, garbage, just, you know. But one day they wanted to do something with the property, so they had to do that, you know. cave that in and, you know, put a foundation down, whatever they were doing next door.
1: The shelter was imploded, and Schaller says he threw out the old supplies. Now he does his laundry by some patched-over drywall where the steel vault door used to be.
2: It was a novelty is all it was, a place to put junk, another closet.
1: Just another closet. Psychologically, Schaller's a long way from Cold War-era Bernice gil and other Chicago-area residents who built their own shelters. But every day, a lot of us use public buildings that once served as fallout shelters without ever noticing it. If it weren't for the yellow metal sign, our question-asker Kyle Bolliard probably wouldn't have either. But here's something to think about. Those shelters were created out of fear of nuclear weapons. Today, there are still thousands of weapons out there. Some are still pointed at us. But it seems like most of us have come around to the idea that it's just not worth worrying about nuclear attack. I asked Kenneth Rose whether we should worry. But no one should be building shelters, in your opinion, to prepare for the nu- nuclear opinion, suitcase. In my opinion, no one should
2: be building shelters because that's, you no know, living in fear of nuclear war is no way to live a life. And um, there's plenty of survivalists out there who have spent a lot of money, you know, preparing for this ghastly possibility, but as far as I'm concerned, it's wasted money and a wasted way to live your life.
1: Well, uh, hopefully you are correct.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope so, yeah.
1: Reporting today came from me, Chris Bentley. Thanks to the Chicago History Museum and to our question askers, Kyle Bulliard and Amanda Snyder who weren't expecting fallout shelters in Chicago to have such an active afterlife.
0: It's so interesting, though, these things are kind of left around on the landscape. You know, these are kind of weird monuments to that time that we don't even always know that they're there, but they're kind of ghosts of, uh, of previous concerns.
2: We'll meet again Don't know where Don't know when But I know we'll meet again
1: some sunny day. Curious City was founded by Jennifer Brandel, WBEZ, Air, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism.
2: Till the blue skies drive the dark clouds far away.
1: Hello, Jesse Dukes here, audio producer for Curious City. 35 years ago this past week, the Solidarity strikes started in Gdansk, Poland, launching a national movement that eventually contributed to the collapse of the Soviet Union. W tamtym tygodniu minęło 35 lat od rozpoczęcia strajków sierpniowych, które doprowadziły do powstania Solidarności w Gdańsku. Thousands of Poles left Poland and came here to Chicago refugees from the Soviet crackdown on Solidarity. W międzyczasie tysiące Polaków zmuszonych zostało do wyjazdu lub ucieczki z kraju, z czego część przybyła i osiadła właśnie w Chicago. We'd like to know more about that Polish-American migration, and we'd like your help. Did you or somebody you know come to the US from Poland in the 1980s or 1990s? Call 888-789-7752 and leave us a message with a little bit of your story. Jeżeli jesteś, Lub
3: znasz jakieś osoby, które opuściły Polskę pomiędzy a rokiem? zadzwon do nas na numer 188 789 i zostaw nam wiadomość ze swoją
1: historią. We want you to tell us when you, or your family or friends came to Chicago and why Chicago? The number again 888 789 7752. Dziękujemy. Thank you. Curious City on WBEZ is supported by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible is offering Curious City listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash city and download a title and start listening on your iPhone, iPad, Kindle, Android device, Windows Phone, or over 500 different MP3 devices. Audible suggests Curious City listeners may enjoy books about Chicago like There Are No Children Here or County, Life, Death, and Politics at Chicago's Public Hospital. That's
3: at audiblepodcast.com slash city. Next time on Curious City, there's a giant, rusty freighter sitting alone at the Illinois International Port off the Bishop Ford Expressway. We asked the security guard, what's the deal with this thing?
2: I've been here 27 years, that ship been here. I don't really yeah. know a lot about that ship.
3: Where this mystery boat's from and what it says about Great Lakes shipping. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City.